Welcome to UK Health Radio. You are listening to the Speech and Language Therapy Show hosted by Shamina Rabi, a consultant speech and language therapist and founder of Unlocking Language, an award-winning independent practice that provides speech and language therapy to both adults and children. She is dedicated to raising awareness about speech, language, communication and swallowing difficulties and empowering those who have them. Hello, this is Shamina hosting the Speech and Language Therapy Show on UK Health Radio, your only feel-good real station. Hope you're doing well and hope you had a good week. I'm really excited because this month we will be talking about a topic that I am very passionate about, um, which is autism. I have seen many young toddlers, children, teenagers, young adults and adults Um, come through my practice doors with a diagnosis of autism. Um, There has been a massive rise in the diagnosis of autism over the last, I would say, five years. Um, And I I think there's a number of contributing factors. Awareness has definitely increased. Diagnosis is much better. I guess there is something else that's going on that is contributing to the the reason for having um, a higher number of people being diagnosed with autism. Um, and I guess um, that, that is one of the factors that we will be exploring on the show during the month of December. So this whole month, December, will be dedicated to autism. And each week I'll be having fantastic speakers who will be coming in to talk about a topic uh, in relation to to autism. So this week I have Dr. Sarita Austin um, from the USA who has worked for over two decades with children with autism spectrum disorders, uh, their families, their therapeutic and education teams in various roles, um, including as a speech and language therapist, an autism researcher, a clinical supervisor, speech and language services manager, university instructor, instructor and workshop facilitator. Sarita is described as an energetic, inspiring, knowledgeable, enthusiastic and caring by her clients, carers and colleagues. Sarita uses her professional experience, life experience from travelling the world, plus her background in theatre to make her parent and educator trainings, diagnostic assessments and therapy sessions engaging and beneficial. She is a contributor to the Encyclopedia of Autism Spectrum Disorders and she is a member of the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists here in the UK and also as a speech and language therapist in the United States. I'm so excited to welcome Sarita today, who will be talking about communication difficulties present in the ages of zero to five. So, welcome to our show, Sarita. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's great to have you on here. Um, describing your bio, that's that's a fantastic some fantastic achievements um you know you've been working for over 20 years i'm really curious to know how you how you got into autism and what your journey in speech and language therapy has been like well um i had been doing therapy for a few years and i started to get a lot of children who had a diagnosis of pdd nos so pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified so i started to get more and more children um, around, I would say maybe 2000, somewhere between 2000 and 2005. And um, I just started going to a lot of workshops, a lot of trainings, trying to figure out the best way to work with these children. And um, I wasn't quite getting answers um, that I felt um, comfortable with. So I actually went on to start studying and working on my doctorate um, in uh, language uh, the brain language use uh, with children um, with autism. And then from there, that led me to um, teaching in university, uh, doing more therapy, and um, eventually running a speech and language, a speech and language therapy department, and um, eventually coming over to <laughs> this side of the pond um, and continuing speech therapy here. Fantastic. So as you said, educator, consultant, speech and language therapist, and entrepreneur, because you had your own setup, didn't you? Yes, I um, had my own business, my private uh, speech and language therapy company. And I actually also had a children's theater company in which children um, both 
uh, with and without uh, diagnosis be together in um, that setting. It was an interactive children's theater, which was great. Uh, it was incorporating the language, the communication side, and then also um, the drama uh, background that I have. Brilliant. And um, at the moment, are you involved seeing children with autism? Um, yes, I am actually working um, for a private practice called Unlocking Language in um, <laughs> London <laughs> that you're familiar with. Um, um, I mean, it's it's um, okay, great. So um, you work in a private practice, and you also um, have a um, additional role part of the week. Yes, I'm also working for a local authority. Fantastic. So you're seeing both sides off the spectrum, sort of um, children coming through with autism in the private practice and then um, working with the general caseload within the local boroughs. Yes, for sure. And it's um, great to have that um, holistic view of um, what's available out there for families. I, I mean, I guess just, just from sort of listening to to your years of experience, you've, you've really seen it all, haven't you? The sort of starting at zero all the way into adulthood and how autism impacts the, the, the baby, the toddler, the, the young person, the young adult, the adult, and, and all those involved with that particular person. Yes, for sure, for sure. So I thought today, I mean, this is such a huge topic, we could probably have 100 episodes just on autism, but I, I thought it'd be useful today to just maybe focus on um, the really young ones, the zero to five, the preschoolers, start from the beginning. Um, and I think our, our listeners and the parents and educators who are listening today will we'll want to know, you know what can they do to support their little ones, ones who have just been diagnosed with autism, ones that they're querying, has that child, has that baby or toddler got autism? So I, I guess what I, I think what people would love to know is how do we know with babies and little ones kind of between zero to 18 months, what are we looking for if, we, if we're saying, oh, there are signs of autism mm -hmm. in terms of communication? So that, that's a tricky um, question, but it's actually not a tricky question. I should rephrase that. Um, it's an interesting question because often parents, um, child number one, mm -hmm. aren't necessarily looking for any particular signs, um, but then um, say if their first child does end up with an ASD diagnosis, they, um, after child number two, oftentimes they seek out um, you know, professional help or, yeah. or more information. So I think naturally um, parents can just look at the interaction. Like when you're, you know, smiling at your baby, you want that baby to smile back. Yeah, absolutely. To your baby, um, you want to respond. Mm. So um, oftentimes if you feel that um, you may not necessarily be getting a response from your child or um, I've had some parents who feel like, um, you know, they feel guilty because they don't feel like they're bonding as they would want to with their child, yeah. that may be a time to, you know, speak to your pediatrician. Okay. Um, uh, speak to um, other professionals, you know, in your life, um, educators. The health visitors, the health they play visitors. a vital role in the exactly. first couple of years. Exactly. And um, speech language therapists, of, of course. course. Uh, yeah, so I would say just from the very um, beginning, those interactions, and then mm. I feel like when parents have had a child, and on their second child, they're often... Um, quicker to notice if they feel that um, the child is not developing yeah. as they would expect. You, you try know. not to, but you can't help yeah. but compare. Yes, and, and as a parent myself, I, I often see that with my second child. I'm like, oh, but my first child did this. Yeah. So you're right. I think it is easier to start to see things that you might have not seen the first time yes. or to question it. Definitely. And then also, how is your child letting you know what they, what they like and what they want? That's pretty much what they do, um, you know, those <laughs> yes. early years, they're yeah. making demands. So um, they, are you sensing like a pattern in mm. how your child, child is communicating? Are they reaching, you know, um, you're with them a lot. Um, are you, is it easy to see that pattern? Are you struggling? Not sure exactly, I'm not sure what that cry means. I'm not sure exactly what they want. So that might be another sign um, that um, your child is not necessarily maximizing, you know, everything that they have, their gestures, their looks, their smiles, um, to, to convey their message to you. 
because with sort of your typically developing baby, um, you know, as a mum, you'd be like, oh, that's the cry for milk. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the cry for he needs a nappy change. Would you still have those meaningful cries and vocalizations with a baby, a young toddler that's possibly going to be diagnosed with autism? Yes, because they're, depending on the child, um, their development will be different. There have been children who um, had that connection to their parents. I mean, the connection remained, but changed. Mm-hmm. Um, there were children who may have been producing words at some point, and those words started to um, uh, disappear. And, um, and what yeah. is that about? Because I, you know, I, in our practice, we will probably get a couple of referrals like that a month, um, where mum and dad have said, "Oh, but you know, he was talking really well," and then at two years, the words started to disappear, and now he's got no speech. Yeah. What has happened there? What's taken place at that? That is a good question. On that deep (laughs) level, I can't give you a clear answer, but we do know that that is, there are a lot of families who speak of that regression. Mm. Um, And, you know, you hear that and you're like, they were really saying all of those words, but yes, Mm. indeed. And that is um, something that we frequently see, but the exact why beneath, um, I'm not sure. And it's uh, a lot of children who have language delay, um, you'll see that there isn't a clear why behind yeah. language delay. Yeah. You know, and um, from our position, if we know that uh, uh, it exists, we'll do um, what we know based on um, the circumstances of that particular child to try to develop. And there's often the many factors yes. that, that lead to the language delay, you yes. know, environment, neurological, lo- lots of yes. things going on. Okay. Um, so a- another common question I get from... Um, from parents uh, is, you know, my, my child is turning two now and they don't respond to their name. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm calling them, but they carry on doing an activity, but don't even look at me. What's, what's that about? Um, I think it's just making that association. Some children, um, it may be uh, their attention. It may be um, they're focused on something that's more interesting. Okay. Perhaps that toy is more interesting than mom's voice um, at this point. Um, something that uh, I always suggest to parents to do, um, and even to teachers to do, is to follow the child's voice with um, something that they enjoy. So if you call okay. your child's name, you give a little tickle, you know, so Susie tickle. Okay. And you're not saying tickle, you're just like, yeah. Susie. <laughs> I know. Gesturing, or, yeah, so it's exactly. just gesturing tickle. <laughs> or no, doing the actual tickle. So okay. So get the pleasure from it. Or um, Johnny, high five, you know, or, or um, Bilal. A little swing um, so that they're associating when they hear their name with a pleasurable act okay and you see frequently that oh, they're turning mm, that's a good <laughs> they're idea turning, they're looking so that's that's one of my um, fun little things to do with children to increase and it's something that parents and teachers can do as well mm, yeah that, that's a, that's that's a really it's good reinforcing, one reinforcing like, mm. and, and can that improve over time can can they and will they start responding to their name or looking at mum when mum's saying, Johnny, would you like a drink? Yes, I think definitely with many children, it, it can improve. But uh, like I say, every child's journey is differently. So I don't yeah. want to make a blanket statement. Yeah. But yes, um, it's the idea of, uh, you know, if we touch a pot, it's hot. Mm-hmm. We pull our hand back. We may not necessarily reach out next time yeah if um someone gives us a compliment we smile yeah we do next time that person speaks to us you know so it's um like giving reinforcement for a particular behavior so we call the child um we give them something that they like to try to train them to turn to it so it can be it can be reinforced and changed the behavior can be developed but it really depends on the child Okay. And um, so, so we kind of touched on the zero to, to 18 months. Now, from kind of 18 months to, I guess, three years or, you know, three to five, what sort of characteristics are we seeing with a child who has got autism um, in terms of their speech and language and their communication presentation? Yes. Um, oftentimes, uh, there may not necessarily be words. Mm-hmm. The child may not be producing words. 
But there are many children who have um, the diagnosis and um, ASD diagnosis who are speaking. So, um, but oftentimes it is around those first words haven't happened or the first mm -hmm. words have happened and then have disappeared. Yeah. Um, so often it's the expressive language that catches okay. the attention. But then um, children also may have difficulties following directions or following instructions from their parents or following the adult's lead or following anybody else's agenda. So they may be um, very much on their own agenda. Okay. And then there are some children who um, uh, are content to be by themselves um, and aren't as interested in interacting with others mm -hmm. um, or even in their play. Um, their play may be a bit more um, repetitive or um, a bit more restricted. Um, they may not uh, engage with children their age. Um, so it could be any combination um, of all of the above. Okay. And, and so nowadays you hear the term, okay, this child is high functioning, um, you know, has, has high functioning autism. This child is, is a nonverbal autistic child. Can we tell the parents a little bit about what they may see um, in terms of the communication with those two distinct, um, not diagnoses, but spectrum, um, the two distinct sides of the yeah. autistic spectrum disorder? So yeah, so for a child who's nonverbal, they are not using words. Yeah. Um, so we would work with uh, giving the child an alternative way of getting their needs and wants met. Mm -hmm. And then um, also try to transition into ways to not just have, them have their needs and wants met, but like be able to comment, you know, tell you about their world and their yeah. day. Yeah. Um, so we do that many ways. Sometimes we use objects, sometimes we use other visuals. Um, I know that some people say picture cards, um, we call them picture symbols, okay. um, different exchange systems. So uh, with children who are nonverbal, they're not saying words, and then it's the role of the educators and the speech and language therapists to uh, give the child tools so that they can get their needs and wants met um, as we work on modeling um, words um, to help them start using words yeah so I, I often get parents who you know might say oh you know I really want my child to speak um but you know by using another method such as you said yeah, you know picture cards um or the pod books or or, or any other system we can still encourage speech mm -hmm. and hope that speech may develop that way but we're giving the child a communication system so that at least they can communicate and that will ease their frustration and that will still allow for some meaningful interaction between the child and the other person yes for sure for sure and then in terms of children who are uh, described as high functioning typically um, those children are verbal okay um, they um, use their language um, some have very extensive vocabularies so they're uh, using spoken language in their interactions but they may still have difficulty with uh, making friends, maintaining friendships, um, taking turns during conversation, knowing how much information to give, mm. um, speaking around somebody else's topic. So um, often you, although the language is developed, the spoken language is developed, that uh, social interaction aspect um, may not be. So, so there's kind of social rules, which are yeah. difficult for, for everyone, exactly. let, let alone um, uh, a young child with um, high-functioning high autism. Okay, and so in terms of um, what could parents do if they have got a child who is high-functioning um, and has got difficulties with social interaction and, like you said, you know, making friends, that's an important part in the early years of childhood. What could they do to support their children? Um, there are these great tools um, called social stories. Okay. Um, basically, it's different scenarios um, that would occur in a child's life, like going to the park with my best friend or uh, waiting uh, at the supermarket. So different scenarios where it may be challenging for the child. Mm -hmm. um, and the story basically breaks down uh, the social situation and in a way gives a child rules for navigating it and or knowing what to expect. 
Um, also, um, some parents may uh, give the ch children warning if they're going to be like sudden changes. Um, some parents follow what we would call a visual timetable. Okay. So basically, it breaks down the different activities in the day that would occur. It's often used in school setting, like, you know, come in, hang up your jacket, um, you know, go have a snack, mm -hmm. go to activities table. But you can also use that in the home. Um, you know, you wake up, uh, brush your teeth, eat breakfast, get dressed, you know. And um, is that good for both high-functioning and for also sure. For sure. children who are perhaps on the lower level of um, autism? Yes. Um, the visual timetable using pictures is good for um, children once they have an understanding that a picture is representing something else. Okay. For some children, they may not have that understanding, so you would just show them their jacket. You <laughs> okay. Know, and is that, ob is that sort of object of reference? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. what we call objects of references that would, it's an object that represents another activity. So mm -hmm. if I said, um, do you want your food? And I showed them literally their food, that wouldn't necessarily be an object of reference. That would be the object. Yeah. So um, <laughs> if I told them, like, do you want your food? And I showed them the plate, you know, or it's time to have lunch or it's breakfast time. I showed them the plate that's giving information um, to the child. Okay. Some for some information for some children, they can make the connection between an object and what's coming next and your spoken language. But they are not yet to able to understand that a picture is representing either an object or an activity. So, but for the children who are able to make that association, you can use a visual um, timetable, which is a set of pictures, like I was explaining before. Yeah. And um, yeah, that can be used at home. And can parents um, get speech therapists to make this? Or could yes. a, if, if their child is in a special school, could they yes. get access to those symbols? Yes, and definitely. And I should add that, um, you know, just to make sure that you have support around what you're doing and you can ask questions mm -hmm. and you can be guided, definitely reach out to your speech and language therapist if your child already has one or speak um, to your uh, child's school to see uh, what uh, support they can give or if there's um, guidance they can give to get you to a speech and language therapist. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would definitely seek out professionals to give you guidance. Um, they, they have so many, so many um, great tips. So um, another sort of typical question um, that I get from, from, from parents is, my child's not looking at me. Um, you know, we're playing a game my child doesn't look at me or, you know, child's got siblings or, or friends at school and there's very little eye contact. What's happening here? And again, what can parents do to, to help improve that? Mm -hmm. So um, it could be around attention. That's one um, area. A child might be more interested in uh, another activity, another object. Some okay. um, children with um, ASD as they've gotten older, have expressed um, that it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for them to maintain eye contact for some children. So, um, but things that can be done, one, the like, similar to calling of the name, um, waiting for the gaze to shift mm -hmm. and reinforcing it. Um, when you're singing songs, like there's wheels on the bus, um, so many songs that we sing around the garden. Um, Pausing in the song, so wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round. Pausing oh, okay. within the song and waiting for your child to do something. Um, sometimes it's a reach, sometimes it's a smile, and sometimes it's a look. It's the so, anticipation. Yes, and we, we call that those anticipation games. <laughs> but um, you can do that. Songs, typically things that you do in your regular routine. Um, sometimes we do... Uh, uh, I think when you're walking, like, uh, one, two, three, jump. One, two, three, jump. One, two, three. Jump. And maybe <laughs> the child will say it. Maybe the child will look at daddy like, what's next? Yeah. But that's another way to encourage looks. And then also, um, sometimes when you're playing, you could um, start, like, below your child's gaze or hold the object that you're using okay. so that your child can look down to you um, rather than if you're standing and the, the gaze is just not an option yeah you know, yeah with, with young children and then you can hold the object that you're um 
the child's interested um, near your own eyes. So as they're on their way to the object, perhaps, um, there'll be that moment of contact as well. And, one and, and could that be, sorry to interject, could that be an object that they an object that they often play with or that motivates them? Could it be yes. a food as well? Yes, whatever okay. motivates them. Yeah, that's okay. the key. That's okay. something that they're interested in. And um, also, too, I love um, putting items in containers um, so that their focus is there. And then, you know, slowly introducing it so that they're almost like, you know, looking at you like, make it happen. Do this for me. So those are opportunities where you could um, encourage eye contact. And just to add on to that, I would say that oftentimes we feel that we need to be teaching all the time mm -hmm. and working with any child, but um, children with ASD, there's a value to observing and pausing so that you have a better understanding about all the ways that your child is communicating. They may not be speaking, but they may be giving you smiles, reaches, their gaze, they may not be giving you their gaze, but they're doing a whole bunch of other things, you know, to communicate. Um, so I feel that uh, as adults, we need to be observers and really, really to make that connection. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I often have parents saying to me, oh, you're the expert. And I go, no, you're, you're the expert. It's your child. You're the expert. You know what your child needs. You know how your child communicates better than better than me and um, I had a referral last week when dad called in and he said to me oh I've got a two-year-old he's not responding to his name he's on the iPad most of the time and um, you know he just he's not listening well he's not understanding he's not listening to instructions and I said oh so how does he ask you for sort of a glass of water if he's not speaking and he's just got a couple of sounds and dad said oh well he comes to me and he hugs me so every time he needs something he hugs me and I said well that's him communicating that's him telling you dad I, I need something that's an interaction exactly. and that's him initiating communication so it is it is looking um, into more than just speech Looking mm -hmm. to see those gestures, the facial expression, mm -hmm. um, those uh, physical interactions, the physical movements that the child may be doing to indicate something. Yes, for sure. Definitely, definitely. And I always say to parents that in those moments, you can use what they really want. You know, some parents are like, no tablet. But I'm like, give them the tablet. But it'll just be for one minute, literally. Then the tablet, the screensaver will come on. So they'll have to request for it again. Then they get their tablet, the video starts to play for one minute. Oh, but then it, it went dark again. So you can use those opportunities to give the child the activity that they want. Um, the same thing with food. Yes, you can have your biscuit, but it's the piece is going to be so small <laughs> that your appetite will just be, you know, um, will be... Uh, satisfied just slightly that you'll ask for more so rather than um just giving the tablet and they watch for 15 minutes mm. those could be 15 opportunities for your child to practice requesting um or you give them one biscuit that could be really 30 30 little pieces of um of biscuit and it gives your child the opportunity to ask and so that's really useful because that's really incorporating therapy into daily routine. Yes, for sure. You know, your children are going to have biscuits. Your children, okay. your child may watch the iPad. Yes. Um, are there any other tips that parents could be doing that they're already doing on a regular basis with all the routines that we have within yes. a day that they could maybe incorporate some therapy into it? Yes, I think um, just in general, even some parents use sign and a speech and language therapist, we use sign a lot. Some use Makaton, some use Sign Along. Okay. But if you're not trained in that, um, or if you don't have a large repertoire with the signs, use your natural gestures as well as you're speaking. Um, you want to give extra information to your child. So whatever you're saying, make sure that you're not solely speaking. So if you're saying, you know, let's go, maybe you're showing the car key, maybe you're signing go, Maybe you don't know the sign for go. Maybe you're just <laughs> waving your hand. hand. Yes. Maybe you're tapping the doorknob. But, you know, give a lot of extra information, um, a lot of visuals um, to your child as well to help them to follow uh, the day's routines. 
And I often hear, um, you know, sort of professionals saying, oh, well, children with autism are very good visual learners. Well, what does that mean? What's that statement about? Um, When you think about um, different abilities, uh, children with autism, although they may have some, may have difficulty understanding spoken language, Um, Oftentimes we have children who are not speaking, who may be reading, who may be um, taking in a lot of information um, from their environment, visual information. And that's often why we use the visuals. And the interesting part is some people don't understand how that could be possible because they associate um, uh, autism with poor eye contact. And oftentimes, I have this with um, many parents that they're like, he's not, why should I sign? He's not looking. And then the child is signing or the child's following or um, he's not looking. You know, he's into his own activity. You hide the box of cookies. He climbs to get exactly where you put the box of cookies. So I think it's a combination of observation. Uh, oftentimes our children may look like they're not looking at all, mm. but there may be quick gay shifts where they're taking in the environment. And often because some children are not speaking and they're not saying words, we can still keep pushing them in terms of their understanding. I have a child who um, is not using words consistently, but can show you um, different vehicles different animals, um, different shapes, different colors, and he's very active. Mm. If we didn't um, probe and push him in terms of his understanding or, or look to see, what do you know? Although you're not speaking, what do you know? You would assume that he did not. He doesn't give a lot of eye contact, but he can look at a book, a first words book, and point out many um, different pictures so okay, it's just true. really yeah, it's just really looking at um what your child's understanding um how they're expressing themselves and how they're connecting that i always like to look at that trinity on those three things oh i like that the trinity <laughs> um okay and um for the children who are very active um and you know who may be sort of stimming or hand flapping a lot um, and, and running around the room because that's part of their um, ability to regulate. How can we look at getting them to be able, getting them to pay more attention so that we can, parents can do, um, you know, can engage in singing or can engage in, in doing a puzzle or, or something to improve their attention? What, what can we do with these I, type of children? I feel like we can become more flexible ourselves. Um, mm. I think that we were all raised in a way where we need to think that we need to, well, we think that we need to sit to learn. Um, so I feel that one, the adults can be more flexible with the types of activities that you do with your child. Um, they, you know, maybe as an adult, you don't want to be running all the time or jumping or, or climbing. But um, in therapy, I usually model for the parents and give them the opportunity to practice things like for example intensive interaction where you're copying your child's movements yesterday i was rolling across a family's (laughs) sitting room floor (laughs) lying over the side of their couch but their daughter was connecting and when you say connecting what do you mean let's get into a little bit of detail um, around intensive interaction I was doing my own thing. Now I know you're next to me and I'm going to, because you're doing what I'm doing, I'm going to put my leg across your leg. You know? Um, Yesterday she actually started stroking my cheek. Um, She smiled. And then her mom had the opportunity to practice and her, her activity actually reduced when she became more engaged with her mom. Um, she was running around the room and her mom started copying what she was doing. And she's, now fold your hands. Now put your head that way. She's not saying it, but she's doing it. And again, the eye contact is she, is is she communicating yes. that to, to mom to copy yes. me? So that's that connection, you know. Um, play with me. Um, and is this play? Is this play? Is this communication? Is it a yeah. bit of both? Yeah. Um, I would say yes. <laughs> a bit of both. That interaction. And the nice part is... Um, it's us 
seeing what gives the children pleasure, what's enjoyable to them, mm -hmm. and joining them. And they're, they're noticing it and connecting with us. You yeah, know? You're, you're entering their world, aren't you? You're entering their form exactly. of play, their interaction, rather than them always having to be dictated by us. Exactly. And then once you know what your child likes, then you could introduce new things that they didn't necessarily pick. But you're like, hey, look at this. So it is adult-chosen, adult-led, but it's around something that you know they might like. And it may expand their repertoire. It may um, bring them to want to interact with you around that item. Okay. Um, so thinking about the young ones again, um, how do parents know whether it's autism or whether it's a speech delay? That's, again, a, a sort of typical question I get when clients call up, um, you know, my, my child has maybe just a ver very few words, doesn't really interact, um, I think my child's got a speech delay. They come to clinic and the pediatrician and the therapist are thinking, oh, it might be autism or it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. how, can, how can we help parents to sort of think about which one it could be or to distinguish between the two? Mm -hmm. I think with parents, um, it's that trinity again. Um, how does your child understand things? How is your child expressing themselves to get their needs and wants met? And okay. how are they connecting to other people? Are they fine? They're, they're children who are fine on their own. Um, they may not necessarily have um, a autism, yeah. um, but they enjoy their own company, yeah. and they do. Um, but then in other social situations, they're able to navigate those, although they enjoy their own company. So I would say for parents to look at how your child understands, how they express themselves, it doesn't have to be with words but how they communicate what they need and want and how they interact with others. So um, in comparison, um, a child who may um, have solely a language delay may um, want to interact with others, may be doing so much um, to the point that you would think, oh, my child's going to be in theater. Like they're <laughs> using every possible tool that they have to connect with others, to express what they want. So that may um, possibly be a language delay. Um, but I would always say to parents, you don't have to figure it out. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, there are professionals there to support you. Um, speak to your GP. Speak to your health visitor. Um, speak to the speech-language therapist. Speak to the pediatrician you may be referred to. And um, from their professional um, opinion, and because they've been um, working with so many families, they'll be able to give you more information um, to help you uh, understand what they feel um, your child might be experiencing at this particular moment in time. And, and it changes, doesn't and it? It, it evolves, change. it changes. It can change. Um, I've heard of the saying, um, you know, when you meet a child with autism, You've just met one child with autism completely. because they're all completely, completely different and completely unique in yes. their own way. Yes, like us all. Yeah. You know, this is something to keep in mind. <laughs> Children who have an autism diagnosis are like us all, very unique in their own way. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so for um, those children who have got some language, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's, it's still far behind their peers, but they're speaking um, and they're... They're understanding some instructions and they can attend. What could parents be doing with, with these children? And they do have a diagnosis of autism. Um, what could they be doing to support those children? So I think that question is so important because we need to keep in mind if a child has autism, it, once language comes, we still are going to support them in developing their language. We're going to look at the grammar you know, we're going to look at their the size of their vocabulary. We're still going to be moving them on um, through modeling still. Sometimes we can use those same visuals, but now we're using it to show sentence structure. But we're going to um, push our children to develop their language as we would um, with any child. Okay. So, you know, even if they have a diagnosis, we're always pushing their language understanding a little further. Um, and we could do that in the same ways we were doing before. Um, and I always tell a lot of classroom teachers, if you're doing carpet time, the story may not only have to be the book, you may have the objects to go along with it. 
Carpal tunnel needs to be visual. Okay. It needs to be visual all the way um, up to um, if you're starting to teach, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually going to move back. I was going to talk okay. about if you're starting to do maths. That, that also needs visual, but I'm going to go back to, pre, to preschool. Yeah. But um, you need to continue to use modeling, um, use reinforcement, uh, use visuals to help the children uh, continue to develop their language. At wherever they are, you have to be thinking about um, those three things. Yeah, wherever they are yeah, on the spectrum. Yeah, wherever they are. And whatever their age. Exactly. What do you feel are the main challenges that parents will will face um when they have got children with autism wherever they are on the spectrum but their child is sort of between the age of zero to five i would say getting your routine done your every you know going to the supermarket um going to the toilet without them but then that's most (laughs) yes Um, yes, (laughs) um but just getting your routine done um I think we were chatting before about how some supermarkets, um, for ASDA, for example, um, have visual supports for parents. If you go to the customer service desk, they actually have um, a board that has pictures of food items, little check marks that your child um, can build, you know, certain things they want to get from the store to help them, give them that extra visual information of like, this is what we're about to do. Um, but equally could be used by a young adult who has autism exactly Mm. exactly so um that is one thing um and i know morrison's has uh, the quiet the quiet time yes yes saturday mornings uh, for shopping for children who um are overly stimulated Mm. by noise or distressed by noise or um who just need uh, uh more time you know, and space to navigate the store. So, uh, and quite a few places are starting to introduce quiet time or time for young people or children with, with autism, which I think yes. is a great way to explore. Yes, for sure, for sure. To make, um, you know, everywhere accessible mm. um, for all people. And so there are the daily routines, and then there's the opposite, the unexpected. You know, like, Mom needs to go to a conference, you know, dad needs to go see his own mother. (laughs) Um, So with children, um, again, visuals may um, come into play with children who are following visual schedules. So we spoke about the everyday. Another thing parents often ask about is what to do with the unexpected. Okay. That, you know, mom has a conference to go to or... um, Grandma is visiting. Daddy needs to have a break, you know, a mm. day on his own. So um, the, for the children who use visual schedules, um, I always suggest that you add in a question mark. Start adding in a question mark in your day um, to get your children understanding that, you know, we have all these different activities that we know for sure are going to happen. But there's going to be something that's going to be a surprise. You know, and it could be like, we're having ice cream. And then on the days where it needs to be, mommy is leaving or something new, it uh, helps children um, develop their flexibility with their daily routine. So that those two are usually, how do I get my daily routine done yeah. with my yeah. child? And then what do I do when, when I something need to happens. switch yeah. that routine? Those are, the, I would say, the two biggest questions. Um, and I, I know, I feel, I feel like in this episode there's been a bit of jumping around, but it's because um, all the questions are randomly coming up. Um, can we talk a little bit about echolalia? Mm-hmm. So when we have children who are repeating, and I often, either I might get parents saying, oh, you know, my child's speaking, or actually just repeats what I say. Um, can, can, we, can we talk about what it is and what parents can do again to, are we telling them to reduce this? Are we saying, no, this is a useful strategy, they should continue using this? Yeah, so um, when you think about all children have a phase of echolalia where they're repeating back things that they heard either immediately or um, in the past. Yeah, that's typical development yeah, for yeah. So, little kiddies. Um, when children are using echolalia like three years 
for you, you know, beyond when we would have expected it to have faded. Um, we have to think about the why. You know, is what the child's saying something that they heard before, but it makes sense in this context? You know, is the child, what they're saying, is it giving them pleasure? Is it like a verbal self-stimulation in a way? Um, what is the, the purpose behind the child using the echolalia? Um, so I think that's the, the first thing to decide. Mm, okay. um, you know, is, What's the reason yeah, that what is the using reason it? For it? And then based on that, um, you know, take steps for that. If a child is um, saying, um, it's so good, it's so good um, when they are hungry or when they see something they want to eat, you know, I might say, yes, it is good. You know, acknowledge, I know what it is that you're trying to say, and then maybe model um, cake or one cake for the child, you know, show them their visual, show them another way of, um, of expressing it. So I think we have to really think about with the echolalia, what is the purpose behind the child using it? Okay, so in some... For some, it may be positive, and we want to continue encouraging that. And for some, we want to try and not eliminate, but reduce yes. reduce it because depending, it's not a strategy. It's, exactly, depending on the um, yeah the purpose. What, yeah. Is this, what is this doing for you? Okay, um, and what and, about go? On. Oh, I would say also too um, that makes me think about when children stim. You know, mm. there are some children who may spin, they may flap. And it is giving them pleasure. It may not be hurting anyone. Um, there may be a child who's doing something that is hurting themselves or hurting another. So even with um, self-stim, you have to think, you know, this if this is, what is the purpose behind this for my child? Is this helping me regulate? Um, and if it is yeah, helping them to yeah, regulate, yes, then that, they continue with it yes. as long as it's not causing harm to, to that, others. That is my stance. That is okay. my stance, yeah. And the self-stimming, is that the re repetitive behaviour that you'd also see in play? So you sometimes see children lining up objects in cars or just playing with wheels um, that go round and round again. What can parents do in that situation? Um, you can always enter into your child's play. Okay. You know, if they're, if they're going spinning a wheel, spinning a wheel, spinning a wheel, you might get stuck for three seconds and then they may shift to you, then you let it go, spinning a wheel, spinning a wheel, oh no. So you're Once almost again. creating um, situations where the child has to respond somehow. Or a routine, or... it may be if the child was on their own, they're moving um, it around in a circle, and around in a circle, and around in a circle. You may just interrupt what they're doing briefly, you know, just to connect. Mm. Um, say they're lining up, um, you may add on to their um, design. It may be knocked away, but it's... it's um, uh, being brave about going for those moments of connection. So you see what they're doing. You see that this is something they're enjoying. Just looking and observing before, you know, just jumping in, observing, like, how can I enter this okay. in a way that's comfortable for both of us? And I've got a couple of more questions that parents have um, written in. Um, one parent has said that my child does not use I, but refers to himself by his name. Um, so Isa is drinking, Isa is playing, but does not say I will play or Isa wants cake. What, what can this mum do to, are we, are we recommending to change it or to continue with it or to support it? And I feel that it depends on uh, the family, the view, you can also model what you're doing. Like if you're doing the same thing as a child, like I'm writing, I'm writing as a child is doing the same activity. Um, you're modeling like this is how you would say it. Like I'm eating, I'm Okay, eating, so I'm... I'm yes. Okay. So that could be a way to model. It's been really interesting sort of talking about the depth of autism with this age group. Um, any final thoughts, Sarita? Um, final thoughts, I would say definitely observe your child, you know, um, really look and see everything that they are already doing. There may be one or two things, but 
look to really see your child um, before jumping in to try to change or to try to shape, really see what your child is bringing um, to the table. And I would say there's so many professionals. We're here <laughs> to support you. Um, you know, you have your health visitors, your, your first stop oftentimes, your GPs, and then you have your speech and language therapists. Um, we're all here, your teachers, your educators, um, your pediatricians, we're all here to support you. Um, so definitely reach out to that network. Um, you know, if you have any concerns about your child's development, and we're here. On that note, thank you very much, Sarita, for coming in today and, and, and speaking to me. And um, I'm sure we'll have you on again with your wonderful expertise around, um, well, around supporting speech, language, and communication needs across um, the ages in autism. Thank you very much for everything that you do. Thank you for having me. If you do have any questions that you'd like to address to Sarita, please send them to me on info at unlockinglanguage.co.uk and I can forward these on to Dr. Sarita Austin. Next week, we will be having Sarah Lee, who is a specialist speech language therapist focusing on the area of sensory feeding difficulties with children with autism. Um, so she will be in the studio talking about how we can support children who have eating, drinking, swallowing, feeding difficulties with a particular focus on sensory feeding difficulties in children who have autism. So I hope you all have a great week. I hope you found today really informative. And of course, you know, do, do get in touch with me through social media or email me if you have any questions or if you'd like any specific questions answered on the area of autism, because December is going to be the month um, where we will have guest speakers focusing on autism. I will speak to you all next week. Have a great week. Bye bye.